today's episode of Round the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I discuss all the latest happenings in the NBA playoffs. Donovan Mitchell is cooking, and we had a rock fight between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. Then the San Francisco Giants are mowing down the entire National League as a veteran squad, getting it done a little Moneyball style in the Bay Area. And then we close things out with... The San Francisco 49ers, we stick in the bay, having serious injury issues already after losing 161 games to injury in 2020, the second most in the past 20 seasons, according to Football Outsiders. We'll discuss all that coming up on the latest episode of Riding a 3x3. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get into lane number one. Riding the 3 by 3 a little morning edition on this beautiful Friday here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Made the trek down, made the full move. Patrick Fetch and I in the same cities. He's got his cup of joe. We got the beautiful cicadas. It's a nice little ominous background noise for this episode. Going to be a quick hitter. Three topics that we have to get to, including an NBA playoffs update as usual. Donovan Mitchell asserting himself as a true superstar in this league. And then we had... Of course, go figure a, a score in the 80s between the Bucks and the Nets, two of the most high-powered offenses in the NBA. Lane number two, we got uh, we got the San Francisco Giants as one of the best teams in baseball, something that not many people saw coming. And it's uh, kind of maybe a uh, another version of uh, Moneyball in the Bay Area, so to say. Pat and I will talk about that in lane two. And then lane three, unfortunate news out of San Francisco, already had two key players go down the season-ending injuries, and Jeff Wilson Jr. dealing with a significant tear of his own. Already snake-bitten once again are the Niners after being the most injured team in the league last year and probably over the past three years ever since Kyle Shanahan took over. Just something about his tenure has been snake-bitten. But, Pat, welcome me in, my man. We had a finally, I think, a real great one-two punch of a doubleheader in the NBA last night with the Bucks getting on the board putting that series at two to one and then the Clippers going down once again, Oh, two in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, Russ, I'm so excited to be back. We're drinking coffee on the three by three today. Maybe the first time ever we've been drinking coffee together, but yeah, last night, NBA basketball, absolutely fantastic night. Absolutely stressful night for anybody who put any money on either of these teams because (laughs) really two great basketball games. It was an absolute shock the way that that Bucks nets game kind of played out if you were to look at the box score. But I thought it was an extremely interesting game. I, I mean, the Bucks did an incredible job. It was so weird to see, you know, the first half, how successful they were and basically just running the entire offense through Giannis and Middleton and having the other three dedicate all their energy to Kate stopping KD like PJ Tucker exerted every ounce of energy he had solely on the defensive end of the ball, trying to contain Kevin Durant. Then on offense, basically just got out of the way, let Giannis take his two-step Euro from the three-point line, get fouled or do whatever that he does. So it was a really, really interesting battle. It didn't seem like either team really knew how to beat either other defense just because of the length and the athleticism. It was a lot of one-on-one hero ball. It was a fascinating dynamic in that Nets-Bucks game. I was – I'm not feeling confident if I'm the Bucks leaving that. I mean, I guess you have to feel great about a win at home. So that definitely gets the juices flowing. But for what it takes, what it took to get such a gutty win, I don't know if you could expect another night like that out of Brooklyn. But 
I'd love to hear your perspective on how that game turned into an 83-84 slot fest. But as a fan, I honestly thought it was kind of just fun and interesting. Bruce Brown, the hero that uh, no one saw coming. I thoroughly enjoyed that matchup. What was up with the, Bruce getting – What do you, I think he had every crunch time shot in the last two minutes, it felt like. Every single time they put Bruce Brown – I was calling for Kevin Durant in my living room all night, Pat. I was like, put Kevin Durant in the screening action. And they just kept putting Bruce Brown in there and letting him take – like those eight foot floaters that's like every single one seemed to hit every part of the of the rim and not go in. But yeah, the defense for the Milwaukee Bucks was stout. 11 of 28 from the field was Kevin Durant. That's exactly what you got to do against an elite scorer like that. They held him to held him, quote unquote, to 30 points. But anytime you can get a guy as prolific as KD to go 11 of 28 and only get 30 points on those 28 shots, that's exactly what you got to do as a defense. But where I would be weary if I were the Bucks is the three-point shooting out of the Brooklyn Nets starting lineup. KD, the only guy to hit uh, hit more than two threes out there. Kyrie Irving, two of eight. Joe Harris, one of seven. Get Blake Griffin, one of three. I don't see that shooting, uh, the shooting woes continuing consistently throughout the series. And on the flip side, the Bucks have to find some other answer besides Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Middleton had to step up here. He was a total ghost in the first two games of the series. And the combination of him and Giannis Antetokounmpo actually set a playoff record, Pat, with 79% of the 86 points scored by the Milwaukee Bucks. 33 for Giannis, 35 for Middleton, 68 apiece. And the thing for the Bucks that they could probably eliminate immediately, Pat, is the early three-point attempts by Giannis Antetokounmpo at like the top of the key, even though he is wide open. Stop it. Please, Giannis, stop taking threes. You're one of eight in that game. I think he's only hit four in the entire playoffs on close to 30 attempts. It's time to end the charade. He should give that charade to Ben Simmons. Let him try that out and see if he can hit some three-point shots. But it's pretty dry. Giannis Kimpo is on a three-point march. That was so tough to watch. I could not believe that that was happening in real time as it was going on. And it's starting to affect his free throws, too, I think. He can't shoot for the free throw line either. <laughs> the, the taking 13 seconds to shoot a free throw is simply outrageous. There's no way that's helping him as a player or a shooter. He has to just figure out a way to get that all out of his mind. He's thinking way too much. It's crazy. Four of nine from the free throw line, like Pat mentioned, took 13 seconds at one point to take a free throw. There is actually a rule in the NBA where you have to take a free throw within 10 seconds of receiving the ball from the official, and he was actually docked a free three, or a free throw attempt because of that, but still a dominant performance out of the Greek freak, hits his points over, uh, scores 33-14 rebounds, was dominant throughout the evening, and they got the exact look they wanted at the end of that game, Pat. The defensive breakdown on the Drew Holiday uh, transition bucket where the Bucks could have called timeout off the miss. Mike Budenholzer in that uh, bench uh, wisely chose not to. They left the game in the hands of their veteran, pushed in all the chips for him, point guard. He didn't have a great night, but he had a great play on that one. Ended up four for 14 from the field, only one for four from three, but had the most clutch bucket of the entire series so far for the Brooklyn or for the Milwaukee Bucks on the spin move. He put on Kyrie Irving, did not allow Kevin Durant to transition over in the lane and be able to contest the shot. And that's what ultimately uh, gave the Bucks the lead and gave the Bucks a chance to win this game. So I would still say the, the Brooklyn Nets should be heavily favored going forward. I didn't see a whole lot. Uh, in this kind of weird slugfest of a game that makes me think they've solved Brooklyn. KD missed a lot of the sh- a lot of shots that he usually hits. 
throughout this contest. Kyrie Irving missed a lot of open shots. Joe Harris missed a bunch of open shots. That guy was just comatose, Pat. One of 11 from the field. He had, I think, two or three wide-open jumpers in the last six, seven minutes of that game that he just bricked. So all of that being said, I still think the Brooklyn Nets get this one done in no more than six games. It's just too much firepower that they bring to the table, and I don't see them uh, having this many issues going forward the rest of the series, shooting consistently. I think really the key is just how physical that the Bucks were able to play in this game, the last game. P.J. Tucker was all over KD. That's what you have to do to him is get him off balance. Don't let him walk into his shots. Drew Holiday, very physical guard as well. As long as they can keep that physicality with the Nets and keep roughing them up, make tough guys like Bruce Brown have to come to the forefront for him and save the day, Like that's a pretty good formula. But, yeah, I mean, both teams are going to have to find a way to make threes. Or, you know, it's going to be Joe Harris or Pat Connington or Forbes or whoever it is that's just going to find open threes. Someone's going to have to answer the bell and just be the one to start putting them in. Mm-hmm. And how long can P.J. Tucker hold up, expending all that energy on defense, going out there, putting up a donut donut on the other end, although he did four and two assists and had a had a big, big one rebound, Pat. So that just goes to show you it is taking everything out of P.J. Tucker to try to slow down the marksman. That is Kevin Durant. We'll see if they can continue to do it moving forward. A guy that has asserted himself definitively as a marksman, Pat, is one Donovan Mitchell, a player that... I think collectively as a basketball world, we have all underrated heading into these playoffs. He's the best player on the best team in this regular season, and he's proving to be, I'd say, Pat, right up there as the best player in these playoffs so far. Another 37 points against the Los Angeles Clippers in a 117-111 win. This guy is cooking right now in the playoffs, Pat. According to ESPN stats and information, the Jazz are 6-0. and with Mitchell in the starting lineup this postseason, he's averaging 32.7 points per game. The only players with higher scoring averages in their first six games of a postseason are Kobe in 08, nice company, and LeBron James in 2017. That'll do, Pat. That'll do. Donovan Mitchell's already top seven all-time in average playoff scoring. This guy has asserted himself as the truth at the point guard position, and when he gets going, when that jump shot, that pull-up triple is cooking, and that right-hand dribble drive is on the money, there might not be a scarier place to play basketball than Bennett Smart Home Arena with a hot Donovan Mitchell at the wheels. I love Donovan Mitchell. Ever since his rookie year, I, I do tell a story. The, the first big that I ever hit was a plus 600 with Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. He he has this like floating ability. It's, M, it's Michael Jordan-like in a way that when he gets to that right hand and he's able to just get in the air – his body control is just incredible. And I remember at the very last end of that game when he hit the clutch shots or really just put the nail in it, and Doris Burke was talking about just like how unstoppable he is to the right hand. He had 19 yep. points in the right hand in the first game. He probably had the same number this game. And it doesn't matter how well you guard him. You know, Paul George was all over him, all in his face, had the hand right there. He's just so, so good when he gets inside the paint, inside 10 feet. And he yeah, uses the uh, glass so well. I think that's another thing, Pat. He 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 uses his height disadvantage uh, on as an advantage on his shot attempts because old school. I'm an old school guy. I want these players to use some more glass, man. Use the height. Use the old uh, higher elevation on your shot range, and you can get it over the uh, long arms of some of these defenders and still put it in the cup. And that's the thing is, I really don't think 
the Clippers played that bad in this game. I really think no. they played yeah. well for the most part. The Clippers are getting the best game from every uh, – every the Mavs, the, they played pretty much the best they could in that series. The Jazz right now are pretty much playing the best basketball they can. The Clippers aren't playing bad. They just aren't finishing games. They don't have that finisher mentality right now to them. Or maybe it's just the way that the ball rolls this one. Jordan Clarkson was the key to this game. Jordan Clarkson – had all of the Jazz bench points, 24 off the bench. That's, <laughs> I mean, legitimately the sixth six man of the year right there with all of the exactly. <laughs> he, I mean, that's the type of player that they needed was that sixth man of the year that he was in the regular season to really elevate this team to be a contender, to really, you know, for me to take them seriously. He had an awesome game, crazy efficient. So six for nine from three two turnovers so he was just solid all around Clarkson was and if you're getting that type of efficiency from him especially with the lack of depth that the Clippers are dealing with I mean Boogie Cousins really has been the best player off their bench in the limited minutes that they can get him Patrick Beverly had a moment had a couple moments but he's still terrible just so. no offense. 0 for 5 from the field from Patrick Beverly. Did go 3 for 4 at the line. But that's a great point you brought up, Pat. And I was actually right about to jump into that as we uh, segue out of lane 1 here in just a moment. But the Clippers, like, they're they're tapping into DeMarcus Cousins, who was on the street basically two or three months ago. Like, they're, they're basically tapping into the same coffers that the Nuggets are tapping into trying to find offense. But the Nuggets have had four of their starting five uh, taken either off the team by trade or injury over the past couple months. Like for a team that you and I thought was was very talented coming in, Marcus Morris Sr. laying a donut so far in the series. Another 0 for 5 performance from downtown. He was 4 of 11, only 8 points. They have to get more out of him after paying him $60 million this year. Another $60 million player, Luke Kennard, who was getting all this love for finally getting in the game, Pat. Well, he didn't get much playing time against the Jazz. Only took one shot in 10 minutes, three points. So like – if you can only rely on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I, it's just going to be a big problem. And and it's going to be easy for this Utah Jazz team, one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, with the Defensive Player of the Year who got his award in front of that crowd last night. That was kind of an omen right there that they were going to probably cover the spread on that one with that crowd getting that, that into it uh, before that announcement was made on the center court. It's going to be very tough for you to score on this team. They are the number one team in the West and have been the number one team in the NBA for almost the entire season for a reason. They are very good on both ends of the floor, and you have to have consistent play out of your top seven players to be able to not only beat them, but beat them on their home floor, which obviously the Clippers are not able to do. They're down 2-0 in this series to a Donovan Mitchell-led team that has their star guard averaging 41 points per game against the Los Angeles Clippers in a uh, in a 52.5% shooting effort so far for Donovan Mitchell. The old kiss off the glass is working very well. I don't know, Pat. I don't know if they have an answer for Donovan Mitchell, and if they don't have an answer for Donovan Mitchell, it's going to be very difficult for them to stop the plethora of scoring, uh, scoring guards and forwards that go down their roster. 23s in this game, a Utah Jazz playoff record. Joe Engels was getting in on the action. He had a lot of open looks because of Donovan Mitchell. You mentioned Jordan Clarkson getting in on action. He had 24 points and got a lot of open looks while on the floor with Donovan Mitchell. So they got to start, the Clippers do, by figuring out that number one issue of, you know, the star guard averaging 41 points per game. Go figure. That's the number one thing they have to do. 117-111 victory for the Utah Jazz over the L.A. Clippers, who 
fall down 0-2 to the, the Mavericks, come back and win in seven games, and now fall down 0-2 to the Utah Jazz. All 10 other teams in NBA history to fall down 0-2 after going uh, down 0-2 in their first round series have not come back to win the series, Pat. So very long odds for the Clippers to eventually uh, pull lightning out of the bottle and do it once again, but we'll see what they have in store once they head back to L.A. for games three and four starting on Saturday. Another team getting it done in the state of California, Pat, the San Francisco Giants, who are the number one team in the National League. we got Kevin Gossman as a legit Cy Young candidate out here, just out of nowhere. It feels like Billy Beanball, Moneyball, uh, just on the other side of the bay. And go figure, in a year where you and I were just salivating, over the Padres, Dodgers, uh, how are they going to be jockeying for that number one position in the NL West all season long? Nope, it's the San Francisco Giants. A game and a half ahead of the Dodgers and two and a half up on the Padres for that number one slot in the National League. Russ, what year is it? Is it 2012? Is it 2014? Am I dyslexic? What's going on? It's not 2021, it's 2012. Who is leading right, yeah. the San Francisco Giants in this incredible year brandon crawford buster posey evan longoria what is going on dude what is happening in san francisco i actually hate the giants all right i'll I'll be frank about it i despise the giants for what they did to the reds in 2012 going up when the reds went up 2-0 in san francisco came home and just lost three games in front of all the loving fans in cincinnati i'll never forgive san francisco or buster posey for the grand slam that he he hit against Matt Latos that crushed my soul. So no love here for the San Francisco Giants. No love for Buster Posey. But here he is, absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. You want to hear some things? Buster Posey's slash line. He's hitting 336 with a 411 on base in a 577 slugging. He is a 170 weighted runs created plus. That means he's literally been 70% better than the average major league player. Buster Posey has been out of his mind at the plate this year, and he's a catcher. He's still been great. He's going to be the starting catcher on the all-star team this year. Brandon Crawford, he's got 14 homers at the shortstop position, still playing awesome defense for him. He's electric. And Longoria is just back to doing his thing. 280 with a 375 on base, 500 slugging. He's got a 146 weighted runs grade plus not even getting to the pitching like you talked about Gosman, Cueto's been super solid. I want to say that this team's not for real, but at the Dodgers and Padres, but I don't know what's going to happen to them. I guess they're just going to get old in August and then they're going to get tired. But man, this team is just well, lighting the, the cover question, off the Pat. ball. You brought up Buster Posey. And when you, uh, when you factor in all the things that went into this season, it kind of makes sense that there's a little bit of a renaissance for Buster Posey. He took all of 2020 off with the COVID pandemic, did not want to subject himself and his family through that uh, shortened season. And like you said, he's come out gangbusters off of that full season off. Maybe give the knees a little bit of help. You get the knees a little rest for a year, and you get to tap right back into the fountain of youth at the age of 34. He is having arguably his – Best season of his career. This is his highest batting average since winning the MVP in 2012. 
He's been incredible. I mean, this has been a better season almost on par with that. He's not hitting the ball for quite as much power as he did, but for a catcher to hit the ball like that is just invaluable in Major League Baseball. That doesn't happen. For so many teams, the catcher position is just like a black hole on the lineup, and it's been absolutely incredible. And you can talk about Gosman again. I mean, DeGrom is having pretty much the greatest season a pitcher's ever had in Major League history. Yeah, but, it's going to be tough to take the sigh from the Grom. Well, you're not. But Gosman, we got to give him the flowers. You're right, for sure. Absolutely. If he's not going to be runner-up, two, three, I'm going to bring it up right now and see it. So he's fifth right now in pitching war. There's been some great pitchers in Wheeler and Woodruff right above him in the National League. But his ability to just get outs and ground balls is incredible. He does not get hit hard whatsoever. A seven percent home run rate. I think he's given up the least. I mean, he's given up the least percentage of home runs per hits uh, all year. So people are just not hitting the ball hard. They're not getting the launch angle on him. He's just making people dead in the ground with baseballs, and it's a beautiful thing if you're the uh, San Francisco Giants. He doesn't even need it too in that ballpark. So I, I'm not rooting for the Giants to make the playoffs. <laughs> so I hope this doesn't continue. I'll be frank about it, but. I mean, they would just be stealing a, a spot from the Dodgers and Padres. But I mean, we should talk about the Dodgers. Talk about the injury bug. I mean, the Giants have been blessed. They've got these old guys who've been able to stay healthy, play most of these games. Healthy. The Dodgers just can't catch a break. And they got Albert Pujols in that lineup now, taking at-bats for him. Like, what has happened for the L.A. Dodgers that they've gotten to this? He's almost an everyday starter since coming to the team. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's brutal. I. We thought this team was gonna literally set the major league record for wins. They start the they start the year fifteen and three. Now they got Pujols at first base. And what in the world has happened? What kind of curse did the Dodgers receive over the last couple of months? Because uh, that I want nothing want nothing to do with it. So right now we got the Giants sitting at a plus seventy four run differential. It's the second best behind the LA Dodgers in the National League. Does it feel like? It's going to sustain, Pat, as we sit here about 61 games into the season, a little bit, uh, a little, a little fewer than the halfway point, but not quite. I, I don't know that it's fully sustainable for the entire season. Like you mentioned, it's an older roster, a lot of veteran guys that could break down once we get to the dog days of August and obviously the last month in September. I mean, there's nothing right now that tells you that it can't for the most part, right? I'm going to take right. a quick little peek at their schedule, see what I can uh... – I mean, they've had the – Giants they've had right play. now, when you look at them, they're, they're first in baseball and home runs. They're third in fielding, fifth in earned run average. And according to fan graphs, they have had a playoff odds increase from 5% at the start of the season all the way to 55%. Like this team pitching-wise has the baseline – uh, overall staff backing to make you think that it's, it is sustainable. Fifth in the earned run average, fourth in quality starts with 27 so far this year, a 1-1-2 whip, and a 220 overall opponent batting average. All of those are top five marks in the majors. And when you have a pitching staff that's that well put together, it can, it can ward off a lot of wear and tear down the line. But like you mentioned, they have stayed very healthy versus the Dodgers being very unhealthy so far this season. They've also had a very favorable schedule looking into it. They've played uh, the Marlins about seven times, even though they're no push away. They're still not a great team in this. They play the Rockies quite a few times. They've been able to play the Rangers already this season. We look into their second half of the schedule. 
Then we come up with the Oakland A's. We're coming up with a lot of Mets games. The Mets have been great. A lot of Brewers matchups, Padres, and you know a lot of those Dodger Padres. So they're definitely going to have it in for them in the second half. And especially you talk about an older roster. I wonder how that's going to hold up in last form. It'll be very, very interesting. I'm still taking the Padres and Dodgers to finish over them. I just think the firepower and the star power of those two teams is just going to be too much and too dynamic. And I think those are two franchises who are just not going to lose this year because they have so much invested into these seasons. Yeah. So I, I'm still going to put my money with those guys. But should we should we talk about the sticky stuff real quick? You have yeah. Go ahead. Go well. ahead and uh, address that. The uh, the the uh, the powers that be in Major League Baseball trying to crack down on the uh, on the pitching savants working all their magic. But uh, as we close out the Giants talk, Pat, this is uh, very interesting. Remaining strength of schedule for all 30 MLB teams uh, going forward with about 100 games to play roughly. Uh, the Padres only have about 98. But the Giants, 27th hardest remaining schedule. So they have the fourth easiest remaining schedule left. Philly, third easiest. And then guess who's it says, number one it, and number two? The Dodgers and the San Diego Padres have the so easiest and second easiest schedules remaining. So it says the Giants have the easiest schedule remaining, one of the easiest. Yeah, they are. Uh, they have the fourth easiest schedule left, 485 winning percentage. Dodgers have the easiest schedule of any team in the majors left at 479. Where are red legs in that? Right smack dab in the middle, 16th. So whatever that is, 16th hardest. So they're four, 498. They're right in the middle. Right, uh, right there. A full hundred, oh, a crisp hundredth of a point behind the Detroit Tigers. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> he doesn't like it, people. What do you you also, I'm guessing, Pat, do not like the sticky stuff being used illegally uh, at will so much <laughs> and, and killing the offense in today's game. Yeah, so I guess to highlight this or give it a little bit of background. For a long time, you know, pitchers, you try to gain an advantage any way you can in sports. So, you know, pine tar that batters would use to get a grip on the bat, pitchers would try to find ways to get in their glove or maybe around their belt where they could put on the ball, give themselves more grip on the ball. That way they'd be able to spin it more and be be able to make the ball curve more and drop more and move more. Apparently the prevalence of this has gotten uh, incredibly out of control. And so in recent years, should I go, I'll give a quick full background. So Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole used to be teammates at UCLA. They used to play together. They did not like each other. Then they really do not like each other now. Uh, Garrett Cole played for the Pittsburgh Pirates, got traded to the Houston Astros and got way, way better. Trevor Bauer said it was because in Houston, he started to cheat and use a lot of sticky stuff and his spin Mm. rate went way up and he became the best pitcher in baseball, led baseball in strikeouts. And uh, Trevor Bauer wasn't so happy about that. He started telling the media that some guys are the only pretty much said the only way that you could increase your spin rate by 200 plus revolutions or that much overnight would be to use a sticky stuff or use some type of cheating method to make your finger stick to the ball. Trevor Bauer in one game in Cleveland playing for the Indians, basically used sticky stuff. His spin rate raised that game. And he basically said, yeah, I cheated that one game. That's what you can do. Well, if we want to, Fast forward uh, to Trevor Bauer in Cincinnati winning a Cy Young. Trevor Bauer had the highest spin rate of any pitcher in baseball for the rest of the year. He went and won a Cy Young. He 
He basically said that he was going to develop his own that was better than anybody else's. He had scientists, chemists. They were using coke and boiling stuff down and just doing like science projects. And apparently they uh, there's a whole thing about teams who have their own pretty much patented sticky stuff that they pass down through everybody in their leagues. And that pitchers are going from team to team showing them like different sticky stuff and that like the Dodgers and Reds were interested in getting Trevor Bauer because he had some really, really good sticky stuff that he could help bring and show the, you know, basically show the importance of spin rate to everybody in the, in the rosters. This is like, this is like real Michael's secret stuff in baseball from spaceship. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so the one event that really escalated the whole thing was in St. Louis where their relief pitcher, Giovanni Gallegos, came into the game and had some conspicuous-looking things on his uh, hat. And right. The West confiscated the hat after everybody right. saw some so, substances. And then the manager basically, after the game, said that was not the arena. That was not the place to try to uh, discipline about this thing. This is baseball's dirty little secret. This is not the time and place to try to ruin this young guy's chance at Major League Baseball. Like, you know, this isn't the one to make this point with. Major League Baseball has since uh, suspended four minor league baseball pitchers 10 games for using foreign substances during their starts. So there's Two White uh, Sox pitchers, I'll add, of the, of the four. Or, uh, and so in the last, basically in the last week has been the first starts of a lot of these pitchers since Major League Baseball seems like they're going to be hard lined at making suspensions. Well, wouldn't you know, spin rates are down across the board for a lot of the star pitchers. Uh, Garrett Cole's spin rate dropped about 200 RPMs in his last Yankee start. He gave up five runs in four innings or something like that and got hit around. Uh, same could be said for a few other pitchers. A few other pitchers went out and pitched great. I think basically the common notion is whatever it is, let's all do the same thing. Let's get on the same page. And I think that's exactly what Garrett Cole, somebody in a Yankee press conference pretty much said, Hey, Garrett Cole, uh, have you ever used spider tag? And he pretty much said, I do not know how to answer that question. Basically back in the day, he would say, no, of course I know you use spider tag. But it's such a like well-known thing that everybody in in baseball is using it that he pretty much said that, you know, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. And if everybody right. else is not doing it, you know, like let's just get on the same page because, you know, it's not it's not Garrett Cole and nobody else is doing it. So long-winded right. answer we'll, on how this we'll see how they end up breaking it all down. I'm not that worried about it. Hopefully it it makes guys less adamant to use it, especially if you can get ejected and a 10-game suspension, like some of those players in the minors have had a Seth. So yeah, good for Major League Baseball. Let's let's even the playing field a little bit. Let's get some more Babbitt, baby. That's what this thing's all about. We want Babbitt. Batting average on balls in play. I want balls in play. And I want doubles. I want triples. I want base running. If the spider tack makes that less likely, then F you, spider tack. That's all I got to say. F you. Get, get out of here, spider tack. We don't like you. We don't like spiders. None of that. Some spiders <laughs> crawling around the 49ers facility, Pat, are, uh, are leaving ominous, ominous omens all over the place because Kyle Shanahan's crew, as we close out the uh, this ride in the 3x3 three three on Friday, June 11th, cannot figure out a way to stay healthy. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. This this is just brutal for the 49ers. They had three players go down with injuries. 
so far uh, in their offseason training program. It's prompted Kyle Shanahan to cut the uh, OTAs two sessions short. And for a team, Pat, that was brutally injured all of last season, like just gutted through injuries, lost 161.6 games to injury, the second most of any team in the past two decades, let alone last season. They were easily number one last season, second most in the past two decades, according to Football Outsiders, adjusted games, lost mat- metric. Uh, and they also factored in COVID-19 there as well to even the playing through field across the normal season. So you got Justin School. Uh, he goes down with a torn ACL. Uh, you got Tavarius Moore, safety. He's a starting player, goes down with a torn Achilles. And then Jeff Wilson Jr., part of that running back brigade that they like to keep uh, a little stable of horses out of, goes down with a torn meniscus and remains to be seen if he'll be missing the whole season. But, man, Pat, just – Something about these 49ers, all the way from Jimmy Garoppolo down the line, they cannot find a way to stay healthy. Not the thing you want with the situation with the rookie quarterback coming in. You want your, especially a healthy offensive line. You want a strong defense that can keep the game in hand. You don't want all this turmoil, especially with Robert Sala no longer anchoring as the defensive coordinator. So you have some change there. You just wish, uh, if you're Kyle Shanahan, that things would go a little bit more smooth for you so you didn't have to deal with all of this mess and all of the all of the extras. But they're going to need guys to step in. I mean, it's going to be so fascinating to watch this team. It's going to be a reality show with how Shanahan's going to manage the rookie quarterback, uh, if Garoppolo's on the roster, how, you know, with Trey Lance doesn't perform how he performs, how they run the offense around everything about the Niners is going to be fascinating. So I do hope that they're able to stay healthy enough to stay interesting because there is something in the water. I don't know what's going on, what kind of training regimen Kyle Shanahan is putting these guys through, why they can't stay. Maybe Kittle just beats them up in the weight room so much that nobody else can. He's making them do too many, uh, too many, too many sets, too many workouts from from George Kittle. No one, no one can keep up with Kittle. They're just trying to match his energy and they're all getting hurt as a consequence of it. So maybe if Kittle just works out off facility so they don't get intimidated, they could just do it at their own pace. Everyone will stay healthier. Ten and a half wins is the over-under mark for the San Francisco 49ers. That seems right about on the number, Pat. If they get decent injury luck, they should probably win 11 or 12. But if they get hit with this bug, if this continues, I would say, yeah, nine, eight wins, especially if Garoppolo, like you can't get out of September. You got to get Garoppolo out of September or they might not even want to get him out of September. If Trey Lance comes into camp, and starts to wow people. Rookie defensive coordinator, like you mentioned with Robert Sala on the way out and D'Amico Ryan's on the way in. How do they adjust their defensive schemes based off that? Is it mostly going to end up being a talent dominant type of scheme that we saw Robert Sala running? Or is it going to be a uh, draw it up type of, uh, mastermind type of scheme that leaves San Francisco and now they are hurt more on the defensive side of the ball because of it. It's a very interesting scenario for the 49ers who are just trying to stay healthy as they wait for training camp to open up on July 31st. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. This has been a little bit of a quick, rapid fire riding the 3x3 three three on a Friday morning. Been a lot of fun to chop up all of the NBA playoffs action. The Giants being the number one team in the National League and then Pour one out for the San Francisco 49ers. Just unfortunate injury bug already hitting them. Everyone have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.